Oh my goodness gracious, we're back. What a saga. Hey, sometimes to get what you want in life, you have to complain. <laughs> so basically, this was all resolved because I complained to Anchor, the uh, recording app, that um, their dumb app ate up my whole phone. And they said, I just have to uninstall and reinstall the app. But I'd already uninstalled it, so I just had to reinstall it. And then the storage went to the cloud and not on my phone. So you'd think it would do that automatically, but apparently not. So apparently, periodically, you have to uninstall the app and then reinstall it. So there you go. Live and learn. If you're going to go out and do your own podcast with Anchor... It's a good thing to know. So today I want to talk about the um, the stupid hearings for the Supreme Court Justice. And there are two things from that that I want to get at. And I know this is kind of old. This is like a week old. But I couldn't record a week ago because I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't... I thought I needed a new device. So anyway, bear with me. I know, it's a week ago. I know. But it's been on my mind for a week. During the hearings, a woman sitting behind the nominee held her hand against her leg for some amount of time, long enough for a photograph to be taken, in the okay position. So her... her, thumb and index finger in a circle and her three other fingers extended upwards which for whatever reason is the universal symbol for okay the left who've been uh, hyperbolic in their opposition to the nominee seized on this opportunity to freak out anew at the white power hand sign that is the OK symbol. Saying the woman was signaling that she was a white supremacist and that perhaps by extension the nominee was as well. I don't know if the woman was with him or not. I don't even know if it matters if she was with him or not. It came out almost immediately that the woman in question was half Mexican, half Jewish. To which the left explained, you didn't have to be white to be a white supremacist. Although I believe they had zero examples. Now, If you're not familiar with the OK hand signal being a white supremacist uh, gang sign, good. The reason it's good is not because you're out of the loop, but because it's not a white supremacist hand sign. So why does the crazy left think that it's a that it's a white supremacist hand sign? I'm glad you're at you asked. Sorry, I'm drinking coffee. The left thinks that the OK hand sign is a white supremacist gang symbol, signal, whatever. 
because some people, trolls, on the internet thought it would be funny to make up a fake PSA satire attributed to the Southern Poverty Law Center explaining that the okay hand gesture was a symbol of white supremacy. Super yawny today for some reason. And the joke was when they held the hand up that the the three extended fingers form a W and that the linked circle formed by the thumb and forefinger along with the remainder of the hand sort of down the wrist there make a letter P and then OK stood for white power and then there was a hashtag not OK or OK not OK or something like that it was a joke and they released it to the internet people on the left seized upon it Now, the timeline of all this happening was extraordinarily brief. Almost immediately after the fake satirical PSA brochure was released, Cassandra Fairbanks and Mike Cernovich, through some chain of events, were present at the White House. And they posed for a photograph, each displaying the okay gesture. The blogosphere from the left went into full conniption mode that white supremacists were in the White House. By the way, it's a big part of the reason that Trump is labeled as a white supremacist. Because although the left desired to call him a white supremacist, despite his long history of not being one, well-documented. Yeah. Despite receiving awards for his work in the minority community, um, yeah, they wanted to make him a white supremacist and they had no evidence of that, so they seized upon this as proof he invited white supremacists into the White House. Now, Cernovich, I don't really know much about. Cassandra Fairbanks is a journalist who is Puerto Rican. Also, probably not likely to be a white supremacist. But she is funny, so it does make sense that she would think it was funny to make a joke. So, yeah. Now, almost immediately after that, whether intentionally or was leaked, the conversation from 4chan that came up with this idea was released. The conversation is details the idea, um, the collaboration between different 4chan users to come up with the idea, to come up with the satirical flyer, um, the graphics, all of it. Included in this release was the planning of the joke and the point of the joke and the butt of the joke and the butt of the joke was that there would be people so dumb that they would believe 
the OK gesture was actually a white power symbol. That's the joke. Haha. So if you, <laughs> so if you believe that the OK gesture is a white power hand symbol, you are the joke. Don't be a joke. Don't let yourself be the punchline to someone else's joke. Especially when all the evidence is there that not only that it's not a white power hand gesture, not only is the whole thing a joke, but that the people who made the joke were counting on you to overreact and freak out and believe it. And you're doing it. Two years later. It was two years ago. Two years ago, the joke came out. Some people believed it. Fairbanks and Cernovich went to the White House. The photos got on the, the, the lefty blogs. The lefty blogs went into full conniption mode. And the whole joke was revealed. Ha ha. Joke. Funny. I've seen people try to explain that, well, it may have been a joke. But now the real white supremacists and racists in America have taken it as their own. And it's not a joke anymore. How badly do you have to believe that there are, we are a country full of white supremacists for you to justify and rationalize that to yourself? Now, apparently, some of the actual white supremacists, some of the 12 actual white supremacists in the country have been photographed doing the OK symbol. And that is evidence that, that it now is definitely a white supremacist gesture. Well, I have bad news for you. Even Nazis, with their ADIQ, think that you're a joke. And they are also making fun of you. So there you go. Not only have you fallen to being the butt of the joke of a bunch of brilliant internet trolls on 4chan, you have also stooped so low that you are the butt of Nazi joke, Nazis joke. And they're not smart. But they beat you on this one. So just because you see Richard Spencer do an OK sign and laugh, that doesn't mean that the OK symbol is a Nazi symbol. It means that you're an idiot. And that even Richard Spencer is making fun of you. That's where we're at with it. So back to the hearing. At the hearing, the lady does the thing, it, they, somebody photographs it, oh, white supremacists. Because the entire thing with the hearing has been hyperbolic absurdity. Ultimately, the fear on the left is that if the court goes too far conservative, which under Trump, it's likely because he's going to win in 2020 because the Democrats can't get their act together to, to nominate a candidate who's not a socialist. So they're going to nominate some whacked out lefty socialist. They're probably going to go out of their way to find a person of color or a woman. They think that's their ticket. So you're going to find some wacky socialist, left-wing, progressive, postmodernist dummy and try to run against Trump and lose. 
Oh, by the way, after they lose, they're going to say it's because America's racist, sexist, Islamophobic, whatever. You know, you know how it'll go. So eight years of Trump, man, they're going to probably he's probably going to get two more justices. That'll make him. I think that'll give him four. I think that'll pretty much make the court like locked in right wing forever. Um, so the left is afraid that if that happens, they'll lose Roe v. Wade. That's public, publicly what they say. The truth of Roe v. Wade is it made it so that states no longer had the ability to have their own rules on abortion, where if you got rid of Roe v. Wade, states would have the ability to make their own rules on abortion. So like California, New York, Illinois, all these lefty states could have all the abortion they want, just killing babies. And then, yeah, okay, states like Arkansas and Mississippi and wouldn't have abortion at all because they essentially don't now anyway. Which I think I detail in another podcast, but basically they figured out a way around it by saying that anyone who provides, an, any doctor provides an abortion has to have hospital privileges and then all the hospitals refuse to give privileges to doctors who perform abortions. And so you really can't go to court and say that's not allowed because the state's just saying like, oh no, if something goes wrong, you gotta be able to go to the hospital and it's the hospital that's saying that they can't, so... There you go. So yeah, so the left is freaking out about this guy being nominated because they're afraid of losing the court. I personally think it has nothing to do with abortion from the leadership on the left. They're just using that as a way to get people all fired up. Um, and they're saying things that aren't true. Like, like if he gets nominated, that means I'm going to die so stupid or you won't have reproductive rights or women's health care will be forever destroyed whatever stupid nonsense they say I personally think it's because they want essentially the Supreme Court of the United States to be like the Ninth Circuit appeals court sort of an activist court that's that's uh, that goes out and, and helps legislate the progressive agenda into law and this is Trump winning is the end of that dream, right? So if you dreamed of the uh, the Supreme Court of the United States becoming this wonderful leftist, progressive, activist court, uh, that's dying. At least if you thought it was going to happen in your lifetime and you're over, I don't know, 10 years old. It's dying. <clears throat> so Obama got some serious progressives in there, Lena Kagan... And who's the other one? I forget her name. But, uh, yeah. But this is pretty much the end of it. So they're freaking out. The reality is the whole thing is political theater. So here's how it works. They have a hearing, and they bring in a nominee for any position. And then here's what happens. In case you're wondering. They get to make cut campaign ads. So they ask questions that aren't really questions. This is both sides. This is, I'm not picking on either side anymore, right? This is how the Senate does nomination hearings. They get a nominee in front of them, and then they cut promos. So they say ridiculous things. They ask questions, and when the guy answers the question, they yell at him that he's not answering the question. Or they grandstand and favor of the guy or they grandstand in favor of some issue that matters to their voters, whatever. None of it has anything to do with anything because they all get confirmed. 
The last time I think there was a serious attempt to not confirm a Supreme Court nominee was Clarence Thomas, and that blew up. At the end of the day, they get confirmed. So Obama was a Democrat. He nominated progressive, whacked-out lefty judges. He nominated the president of Harvard Law, who is the person who was instrumental in codifying the idea that speech was violence at Harvard University. And the Senate, controlled by Republicans, eh, kind of. Or that eh, might have been still when uh, Harry Reid was in there. But anyway, whatever. They all get they all get approved, and that's what the, what's inevitable here is that Trump's nominee will be approved. Everyone knows if they don't pick pick this guy because he's somewhat moderate, he's just going to pick somebody even more conservative. They're going to approve him. So they just it's just theater. It's this stupid showboating nonsense where they stand up and rant and rave and ask questions and talk over the guy and don't let him answer and say, claim he never answered and they have press conferences and the media pays attention to them for a few weeks and they just suck it for all it's worth and at the end of the day, he'll be confirmed. The best chance they had of getting him not confirmed was when McCain's seat was empty because McCain was sick and he didn't resign. Now, he's been replaced. So it was a 50-49, I think with one independent, or 50-48 with one independent, or 49-48 with two independents, whatever it was, and now it's, there's 51 Republicans in the Senate because they filled that seat. Now you can't, there's nothing you can do. And if different times has been different, sometimes you've needed 66 or 67 votes. Sometimes you only needed 50. I think right now it's just 50. They kind of go back and forth on it. But anyway, they have the votes. So what's the hearing for? Because they're not actually trying to find out about the guy. They're not actually asking questions. All this research has been done way in advance. It's just theater. And as much as I'm tired of party politics, which I'm really tired of, and I think it's stupid and boring, I'm even more tired with politicians hijacking the country and news coverage that could be devoted to actual important things and time in the legislature that could be devoted to actually important things or, I don't know, cutting their pay in the hours that they're there to put on a stupid show where the conclusion is a foregone conclusion. There is 0% chance that the guy won't be confirmed. Eventually, he's going to sit on the court. And until he does, they're not really doing anything in the court. So you're holding up the Supreme Court from hearing cases, and you're putting on a, a theatrical production of how, how tough you are because you impose a guy. Meanwhile, it's going to pass. Just like everything always passes. Because it's all a big joke. So if you're all excited because some senator gave some speech against some Supreme Court nominee or a Treasury nominee or whatever, forget it. Stop being excited about that. They're only doing it to get you excited. There's no other reason. And the stupid language, like over and over and over again, oh, net neutrality, we're all going to die. Tax cuts, we're all going to die. Supreme Court nominees, we're all going to die. Give it up. 
You just sound like children. It's so ridiculous. You should be embarrassed. If you believe that the OK hand gesture is a white supremacist gang sign, or you believe that the Supreme Court nominee is going to lead to your death, <laughs> I don't know what to say to you. Like, it's just so ridiculous. You're so stuck in this stupid left-right paradigm. You would believe anything. Anything anyone said that was negative about the right, you would believe it. And anything anyone said that was positive about the left, you would believe it. Anything. Because those are the two most ludicrous things I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and there's some large segment of the country that believes them. Both. Both that the Mexican Jewish lady is a white supremacist and was gang signing on TV and that the okay thing is actually a white supremacist hand gesture and that net neutrality is going to mean we're all going to die and that the Supreme Court nominee being, being approved means we're all going to die or you're going to die or you can't go to the doctor anymore or whatever, whatever ridiculous nonsense it is today. And every single speech disguised as a question, and every single stupid, fake, hollow protest serves one purpose and one purpose only. To get your support and to raise money. That's it. Because that's the game they're actually playing. They're not trying to install whatever agenda you think they should install. They're not trying to follow any ideological road that you think that they should or that they've told you they're going to if you elect them. None of that is happening. What's happening is they're playing a game and the game is that they all work together and pretend that they hate each other at the same time dividing all of us into two camps demonizing the other and all the while collecting their money and support and you ignore things that are really going on. But somehow, miraculously, when it comes to bombing countries or passing ridiculous deficit budgets, they all come together. Sing Kumbaya and pass that thing. And no matter what the issue is, whether it's a left issue or a right issue, there's a few on each side that, that uh, stick with their guns Coincidentally, usually it's people who are sitting in seats in districts that are, they call purple, right? Where you, you theoretically could lose. Because they're all working together to maintain the status quo. So if you live in a district that you can never lose, which most of them are that way because they're gerrymandered, then you can cross the aisle and pass that budget that deficit budget, even though you ran as a balanced budget fiscal conservative, because your district's not going to vote for a Democrat. And if you have to kill some sort of gun control legislation, even though you ran as a gun control Democrat, and you live in the bluest of blue districts, you can go ahead and vote to kill a legislation that you supposedly should support. If you don't believe me that that's true, just look at Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan in Congress spent a decade being the balanced budget guy. He was a budget hawk. 
They coined the term budget hawk around Paul Ryan. He was it. He was the guy. He was the 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 guy who could balance the budget. He could do the numbers. He was the numbers guy. And when the Democrats ran the Congress, he actually proposed multiple balanced budgets, all of which were defeated with a laugh. Ha 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 ha. His reputation as a budget hawk got him nominated as vice president for his party to run against Barack Obama, which he lost. He and Mitt Romney failed. At which time, shortly thereafter, two years later, the Republicans took control of Congress. And with his newfound fame as a former vice presidential candidate, Paul Ryan was made Speaker of the House after the House decided the former Speaker, John Boehner, was a disaster, which he was. So they had the two years of Democrat controlled Congress where he got Obamacare, two years, I think, of Boehner, and then we got Paul Ryan. It might have been three or four years of Boehner, I don't know. We had some Boehner. He cried on TV and looked ridiculous with his super tan in the middle of winter, even though he's from Ohio. Then we got Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan, upon becoming Speaker of the House, 110% controlled the purse strings of the United States of America. He alone, absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, could shut the whole thing down and demand a balanced budget. How? He could pass a balanced budget because all spending bills come from the House. He could pass a balanced budget through the House. He could then turn it over to the Senate and he could recess the House. At which time the Senate would have two options. Pass the bill or let the government get shut down. Let's see what you think they would do. They'd probably let it shut down for a little while. Again, some more theater. They'd say ridiculous things like, oh, the veterans and the military and Social Security recipients are all going to go broke, except none of those things get shut off when the government shuts down. Oh, the poor federal workers, yeah, except they get paid in arrears when they come back. Even though they didn't work. You know, because they're just like us. Did you know that? If the government shuts down and federal workers don't come to work for five days, ten days, a month, when they come back to work, they get all the pay that they would have earned if they had been working when they weren't working. Except that they don't work. So yeah, so you miss a month because of a government shutdown, you work for the IRS, when you come back, you get a month's pay. Awesome. Because, you know, they're just regular, hard-working folks. How dare Donald Trump not give them a raise? They're just regular, hard-working folks like you. Except they get 20 sick days, three weeks vacation, they make $100,000 a year, they have a pension, and they have fancy health care. Other than that, oh, and they work 36 and a half hours a week. Other than that, they're just like you. You know, you, who make $40,000 a year, work 70 hours a week, get no vacation, two sick days. Yeah, yeah, like that. Pretty much the same. And if they happen to get locked out, they get paid when they get back. Anyway, Paul Ryan, budget hawk, takes over the Congress, has absolute and total control over every spending dollar of the United States of America. And what does he do? Does he pass a balanced budget? Nope. Does he pass any budget at all? Nobody, nope, nope. He does not.
they just go farther and farther and farther in debt. Just kidding about all that, you know, that 15 years you spent screaming and yelling about how unbalanced budgets were immoral, unpatriotic, un-American to strap our children and grandchildren with this debt. Think of the children until you can until you can control it, and then it's suddenly not immoral anymore. That's the kind of theater that goes on in Washington. Both sides. And that's what the stupid hearings are. They put them on TV, and they take pictures of people sitting behind the nominee, and they start spinning this stupid story about how women are going to die, and they must, everyone's a white supremacist. Everyone's doing white power hand gestures. I don't think they'll stop unless it stops working. So that's ultimately the message. My message today is not to them. It's to you. Stop believing it. Stop getting wrapped up in stupid nonsense. Don't pay attention to Supreme Court nominee hearings. Nothing that's said there is of any consequence whatsoever. There's not a genuine question asked. There's not an answer that matters given. Nominees are well coached for how to answer questions. They essentially don't answer them. Or if they do, it's all just platitudes and nonsense. And the questions asked are disingenuous questions. They don't really want answers to the questions. They're just grandstanding. They're putting on a show for their supporters. Look how tough I am on that Republican. Look how tough I am on that Democrat. Look at me being tough. They put it in campaign ads. And they put it on flyers. And, oh, I oppose this. And blah, blah, blah. Whatever. Stop buying into it. Don't get excited when your senator, your congressman, says some stupid thing in a hearing that you agree with. Who cares? And for God's sakes, once it's been revealed that you've been trolled, which at one point or another in our lives, in this modern era of social media and 4chan and 8chan, whatever either one of those things are, and Reddit and all these different sites where people who are funny are getting together and thinking of funny things to do, once you're trolled and it's been revealed that you've been trolled, just accept it. It's okay. It happens. You weren't paying attention. They did a great job. Whatever. You've been fooled. You've been had. Just accept that you've been had and move on with your life. Don't two years later double down with the stupid where everyone who knows, which is nearly everyone, is just laughing at how dumb you are. Now, if you fell for it in the beginning, okay, fine. I'm fine with that. But once they released the fact that it was a joke, like a month later, it was so quick that the same week that I found out about the white supremacists in the White House, which are actually two people who I guess who aren't white supremacists being funny, is when I heard about it being a joke and then releasing it. Like, there wasn't that much time for you to feel dumb. Then you go, oh, they got me. And you move on with your life. Not two years later, still trying to pretend it's true or still falling for the joke, whatever. Don't be a butt of the joke. Don't fuel political theater, pointless hearings with foregone conclusions. And don't let yourself be the butt of someone else's joke. 
Okay still just means okay. It doesn't mean anything but okay. Everyone knows it doesn't mean anything else. Don't be the dummy that falls for it. Just because you want the Supreme Court nominee to not be approved, it's go- he's going to be approved. And it wouldn't matter if you controlled the Senate, he would still get approved. That guy's going on the Supreme Court. You may not like it. Oh well. But it doesn't mean that the lady sitting behind him, who's half Mexican and half Jewish, is a white supremacist Nazi. That's just stupid. And when you say, come back and say, oh well, you don't have to be white to be a white supremacist, or it it was a joke, but now it's not a joke anymore because um, Richard Spencer did it. Like, no, Richard Spencer's making fun of you too. And the lady just sat there for an entire day, and at one point during the day, her hand fell in the okay symbol. Whether she was signaling okay to someone or whether she was picking a piece of lint off of her pants. I have no idea. Skirt, whatever she was wearing. In any case, somebody just sat there all day taking pictures and got that on a picture and released it. Why? Because they need to sell pictures. Don't fall for it. Good Lord. Embarrassing yourselves. Today's podcast is brought to you by my book. The Toxic Masculinity Crisis, available now on Amazon.com and on the Kindle thing. If you go Kindle, two things. One is it's less expensive by nearly $5. The other thing is that you don't get a book. So if you're like me and you'd rather have a book, you got to buy the book. But if you don't care about having the book, you can get it on Kindle. Either way, it's out there. It's available. And right now, we are in the midst of, we are day 11 of the 10,000 book challenge. That is a challenge to sell 10,000 books in the month of September. Not any book, just mine. And as it stands right now, we've sold eight. So we're a long way from 10,000. I don't know if it's like boxing. You're waiting for the late money to come in to see where the line's going to fall before you put your money in. I don't know. Don't do that. Just go buy it today. Today's your day. Unless you've already bought the book, then thank you. But if you haven't bought the book, you need to go buy it now to get in on the excitement of the 10,000 book September challenge. The book tells the story of masculinity, what it is, what it's for, why it's good why men are made the way they're made and what they're supposed to do with it. What the patriarchy is, why it exists, why that's good. Listen, Thanksgiving is coming. And at Thanksgiving, you're going to get together with your family. And your sister-in-law is going to be there. You know, the communist, third-wave feminist sister-in-law who only feeds her kids organic, vegan, soy, whatever. And doesn't ever drink water out of a plastic bottle because something. And brings the the gluten-free dessert. But she can't make like something that's naturally gluten-free. She makes like cake. So it tastes like some sort of cardboard rubber hybrid. She's going to be there. And she's going to say things about the patriarchy, smash the patriarchy. She's going to look down upon the men who want to like to excuse themselves and watch football. 
She's gonna tell you why eating a turkey is cruel. And you're gonna have nothing. You need the book. The book is gonna give you all the ammunition you need to shut her down. The Toxic Masculinity Crisis on Amazon.com. You can get a second copy during 10,000 book September and you can give one to her at Thanksgiving. Be like, hey, I was thinking of you in September and there's this book and I think you'll enjoy it. She will enjoy it. There's good stories in there. It's great. So go check that out. Listen, I'm glad to be back. I feel like I've had a lot to say. I've missed my half an hour a day of rambling into the abyss. So thank you for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with me while I figured this out. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today and we will talk to you tomorrow.